0: Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie. And this week, John, we'll be doing a coming attraction. We do those from time to time. And we'll be looking at a novel called Station Eleven.
1: Yes, Emily St. John Mandel is a young novelist who's published three previous books. And I've read two of those three and thought they were very interesting. Her new book, Station 11, which is coming from Knopf in September, is absolutely terrific. It's always exciting when you have been reading a writer and there's a book that is not just good but a leap forward, and this is that kind of book. Now, I can imagine some readers saying, Why are you telling us about this book now? Because it's not coming out until September, and the reason is very simple. I just read the book i read it. i read an e-galley of it i am greatly fired by enthusiasm and i want to tell people about it to be looking for we will review the book in due course after it's actually out but it's the kind of book that i want people to have on their radar because it really is just an exceptional novel let's get into some of the details before
0: we came on the air here so to speak I said that the title sounded vaguely science fiction-y.
1: Yes, and I said, well, you're right in the first place. And here, I apologize to listeners, this isn't giving away too much because very, very early in the book, you learn that a plague is going to strike the people of our planet. And it's very devastating in its consequences, so much so that there aren't even enough people and enough resources to maintain the way of life that we've become accustomed to. And people are living in small, isolated communities. No one can drive anywhere. (laughs) There's just an utter and dramatic change. And of course, this is a familiar fictional scenario. It's happened in countless stories. In this case, the Action centers on a traveling group that goes in a kind of circuit in the upper Midwest, and they do two things. They perform Shakespeare, and they play music. The narrative follows them on their round, and they have various encounters, and then it leaps back in time to several other characters who were involved in the story. So on the one hand, there's the progression of the journey of the troop. And then there's the flashbacks to time before the disaster. It's a brilliant book in many ways. It's one of those things that completely captures your imagination. And I have to say, I have got to the point where I am not easily drawn into a sort of post-Holocaust, post-nuclear disaster, post-plague story, just because I've read enough of them and you're playing for such high stakes, and it's too easy in a way to, and you see this in a lot of superhero narratives, they invoke the ultimate too often. And when you do that, it mm-hmm. cheapens it. It's quite an accomplishment just to do this with authority and imaginative power such that the jaded reader loses his jadedness and can see the subject afresh. That in itself is a great accomplishment. But there's also an imaginative conception at the center of it from which the title comes. I won't say any more about that. There is one thing I wanted to say that occurred to me while I was reading that reminded me of an ongoing conversation that you and I have talked about a little bit, and it's going on in several different spheres right now where people are talking about the presence or absence of faith in contemporary fiction. I've said when you and I have talked, that it's not just a question of writers who, in some way or another, are writing from a position of faith. That's not the only question. The fact that there are writers who, in their fiction, argue against faith is significant as well, because, of course, you don't bother trying to discredit something if it's irrelevant. And so, if it were true across the board, as it is true for some writers, in other words, for some writers, they're not arguing against belief. They're not arguing against Christianity or God or any belief, they're not even bothering with it. There are writers like that, including some who are very highly esteemed. But there are also a lot who are doing different things. I simply want to mention that it's striking to me because as someone from whom I can't say belief is central in my life because that would make it sound like there was some other part that was you know, separate from it. But naturally, I'm thinking in a circumstance like this, where everything changes, where people are thrown back on conditions that are much harsher and in some ways very hard for us to imagine. But as I try to enter into that, I naturally think about, well, how do they explain these things and how does their faith enter into it? And in this book, the only real presence that responds to these events from the standpoint of faith does so in a way that's terrible. I'm not giving anything away in a way that will spoil the story. There's a figure called the prophet who is kind of almost a caricature of a certain type of deluded religious fanatic. From my point of view, it's too bad that (laughs) pretty much the only representative of a kind of active faith in the story is this caricature, but that in itself simply adds to what you and I have talked about before, that for a writer like this who's a very thoughtful writer, it's not a question of a world in which such matters of belief have simply become irrelevant. In this case, the picture that you get of it is very negative, but it's something that she feels a need to register. If you stood before this author, sat down for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, how would you engage her in this issue, if at all? I don't really know anything about her except her books. The starting point of any conversation we have would be how much I enjoy her writing, and especially this book. It would be interesting if we could talk about that sometime. It often turns out to be hard to have those conversations. And in fact, I've been struck how even among people who are themselves all believers who are talking about this question of, well, how does faith figure or not in contemporary fiction? I often have a strong sense that the conversation <laughs> is just bypassing, going in separate directions. There doesn't seem to be a lot of engagement so that even people who share these fundamental faith commitments, and they are also people who are interested in literature, which you know a lot of sure. people aren't. So you'd say, oh, well, they might disagree on some things, but they could have the same conversation. But what they see their perception, their angle of perception is so different that it often seems that they're not really communicating or engaging too much. I don't want to exaggerate that. You know, there is some progress perhaps in the conversation.
0: No, I've seen that too. And I think from my perspective, what I've seen is that a lot of really accomplished and intelligent Christians who are in these fields, say writing these kinds of books, don't want to be pinned down to make it too obvious I don't know if if you could say it's a dichotomy between what they believe in their heart and what they produce on the page, because I think there usually is some kind of interaction, but a lot of times they don't want to make it too explicit because it will, in their mind, maybe cheapen it a little bit.
1: No, that's yet another part of the puzzle. You're absolutely right. In any case, I highly recommend Station Eleven as a novel that I'm sure not all, but I think many of our listeners will read as I did with great interest, and I'm really looking forward to reading it again right away.